Hi, podcast listeners. This is Professor Casey Paul Griffiths at BYU and president of the BYU Latter-day Saint Educators Society. Now, there's an old saying coined by Stephen R. Covey that no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. A lot of times in education, we admire those who have really mastered the content of their subject, but we neglect the interpersonal skills that help us build character and make connections with students, teachers, and the administrators we work with. I remember one story from early church history about the prophet Joseph Smith and Emma Smith that kind of showed their humility. There was a young man named William F. Cahoon who was called and ordained to act as a teacher, a a ministering brother for his day. He later wrote about his experience with Joseph and Emma Smith in his autobiography. He said, being young, only about 17 years of age, I felt my weakness in visiting the prophet and his family in the capacity of a teacher. I almost felt like shrinking from duty. Finally, I went to his door and knocked, and in a minute the prophet came to the door. I stood there trembling and said to him, Brother Joseph, I've come to visit you in the capacity of a teacher, if it's convenient for you. He said, Brother William, come right in. I'm glad to see you. Sit down in the chair there, and I will go and call my family in. They soon came in and took seats. He then said, Brother William, I submit myself and family into your hands. And then he took a seat. Now, Brother William, said he, ask all the questions you feel like. William recalled, by this time, all my fears and trembling had ceased, and I said, Brother Joseph, are you trying to live your religion? He answered, yes. Then I said, do you pray in your family? He said, yes. Do you teach your family the principles of the gospel? He replied, yes, I am trying to do it. Do you ask for a blessing on your food? He answered, yes. Are you trying to live in peace and harmony with all your family? He said that he was. I then turned to Sister Emma, his wife, and said, Sister Emma, are you trying to live your religion? Do you teach your children to obey their parents? Do you teach them to pray? To all these questions, she answered, yes, I am trying to do so. I then turned to Joseph and said, I'm now through with my questions as a teacher. And now, if you have any instruction to give, I shall be happy to receive them. Joseph Smith said, God bless you, Brother William. And if you are humble and faithful, you shall have the power to settle all difficulties that may come before you in the capacity of a teacher. I then left my parting blessing upon him and his family as a teacher and took my departure. Now, I don't need to tell you that Joseph and Emma Smith were busy people with a lot on their minds. But they took the time to sit and visit with William Cahoon, respecting his role as their ministering brother and giving some of their valuable time to him. In our drive to be excellent in our subject area, to master our skills as educators, we also need to be conscious of those small interpersonal moments that matter so much to the people we work with. The most important attribute for your teacher One that really changes lives is to be Christ-like. Now, our guest today, David Boren, is one of the most Christ-like educators I know. And he's going to share with us a little bit about how our interpersonal relationships and trust can make a big difference in our success in our classrooms and in our lives. That's the subject for today's Seek Learning. In the lives of Latter-day Saints, education is central to their religion and its practice. For members of the church, education is not merely a good idea. It's a commandment. At the David O. McKay School of Education at Brigham Young University, scholars carry out different studies every year in the field of education. In this podcast, we speak with these scholars to find out 
What they discovered about education and what does it mean for Latter-day Saints? How can these findings be applied in home and gospel settings? Finally, what inspired them to become an educator and how has it affected their lives? Education is the difference between wishing you could help other people and being able to help them. This is the Seek Learning Podcast, presented by the BYU Latter-day Saint Educators Society. David Bourne is an assistant clinical professor in the Department of Educational Leadership and Foundations in the McKay School at Brigham Young University. David worked as an elementary-level teacher and administrator in the Alpine School District prior to coming to BYU, and his research interests include organizational and individual trust, leader preparation and development, well-being in schools, professional learning communities, distributed leadership, and leading deep learning. And David's also won a couple awards that I know he never mentioned, so I want to mention them here. Uh, he was named Instructional Leader of the Year by Alpine School District. He was named Utah Outstanding Administrator of the Year by the Utah Parent Teacher Association and Outstanding Administrator of the Year by the Alpine School District. David is on the board of the BYU Latter-day Saint Educators Society and he's one of our former presidents. And I can say personally that he is a delight to work with. Joe Backman from our team recently sat down with David to get his insights on how to build trust and create good relationships. We'll join their conversation now. Now, I know you've done a lot of work, research, passion about this. Share some of the things that you have done in regards to move that work forward when it comes to well-being and helping students to become. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and my, you know, my primary role here at BYU is not as a researcher. My primary role is working with practitioners, uh, teaching and training and supporting educators and districts. But I do get to do some research, which is really fun, um, and writing. And uh, my, my primary goal in research is uh, – to um, make it really applicable and usable for educators. So, so for example, uh, in the well-being realm, you know, I'm, I would get over the last several years, I'd get emails from our graduates who've been through our our principal preparation program and say, "Hey, David, I I'm realizing that this well-being piece is huge. I mean, is there are there some resources? And you know, I'd send them a few websites and articles and realized, you know, I need a better resource to send. So working with a research assistant, um, she was an undergraduate, just really sharp. We started gathering uh, research-based, you know, valid and reliable tools for assessing well-being in a school. And so we've put that together. And um, another professor here at BYU has put together an, kind of a, an online book uh, site. Um, his name's Royce Kimmons. His 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 site's called EdTech Books, and so we put it up there a couple years ago. This this ad, assessing well-being book, and uh, we're just blown away by the number of people accessing it. I think it's been accessed 140,000 times and downloaded 50,000 times, and uh, it's it's definitely an area of need. But it's just it basically just has a bunch of different ways that schools can assess student, teacher, and organizational well-being. And we're currently working on a another resource for practitioners on addressing well-being. 
I mean, assessing is great, but then we want to actually do something about it and address address the well-being. So that should be out hopefully by this summer. Awesome. What uh, great resources. Uh, so often in schools, we have nothing to measure the well-being side or skills disposition. So grateful that you're in that work to help us to measure what we care about. Yeah, and it's a living document. I mean, we're, we can add things to it and update it as new tools come out. And, and you know, I'll just make a little side note. It, it's interesting how the Lord works because I felt prompted to put this resource together about four years ago. It took a couple of years to get together. And then we we put it out. And then the pandemic came like right after that. And and the public desire and educators desire for well-being resources skyrocketed. And uh, I'm just glad that it was in place just at the, the right time. I could have never orchestrated that. That was the Lord. Uh, and so it's it's just fun to see his hand. You wrote an article that impacted me as an early principal uh, in my first year of saying, how do you build trust the, the most effectively? And that it was really those those uh, drop by the classroom, talk to the teacher. How are you doing? Uh, nothing formal, but just how's your family? Uh, how was your weekend? And showing them that you really care. And that built community more than anything else that I did. And just being out with the people, waving to the kids, saying hi to them as they came. And I just remember your work on that really impacted. Anything you want to share more in those regards? That was a huge blessing to me in my in my time as principal, just to find those opportunities to send a quick text message when someone's sick or it's their birthday, pop by their classroom, you know, stop into the faculty room and have lunch with the teachers and uh, stop in the cafeteria and give a high five to the students or tell them a joke. I mean, those those little ongoing interactions did more than my PhD. Uh, you know, they didn't really care that I had a PhD. They didn't really care that, uh, you know, I knew the latest and greatest education ease or the, the latest research. And, and it came through in surveys that we did with parents. We asked them about things that they, they noticed or, or that were most important to them. And they said, we noticed that the principal's greeting the students at the door and knows each student's name. What they really cared about was those, was those one-on-one relationships with their kids. Uh, so... It's a great reminder. Yep. Let's just talk for a minute about the study that we did together, Joe. Be great. Because uh, that's another area that I'm continuing in that's, that's really fascinating. Um, so actually, why don't, why don't I just have you describe a little bit about your initiative that you were working on, and then we can talk about some of our findings. Sure. Yeah, this was a fun study and ongoing. Um, in our district, in Alpine School District, uh, they – introduced a vision, vision for learning, and articulated that we want students to acquire the essential knowledge, skills, and dispositions. And uh, there was professional learning that happened throughout the district for principals, coaches, teachers, that helped them think about, kind of wrap their heart and mind around this vision, and start trying to implement this. And so we did some research, uh, interviewed some of the principals in our schools, uh, where in some of the schools, it seemed like this was just thriving. There was 
transformation happening. There was energy. There was excitement about the work. Whereas in other schools, there wasn't energy and there was not as much of transformation happening. And so we wondered what, what's going on here? And so we approached it with some interviews of principals to see if we could kind of uh, have some findings emerge. And they did. So David, tell us about them. Yeah, this was really fun. I was really happy when, when you asked me to take a look at those interviews. We did some qualitative analysis and, and there were a lot of findings. There were three or four that were really, to me, exciting. So one that really came across pretty strongly was that when you think about educational outcomes, knowledge, content knowledge, skills, like what students can do, and then dispositions, how they do it. Uh, the principals at the less transformed schools had a very different vision about the why of education and the why of deep learning. The less transformed schools really kind of held on to this content knowledge is king, that content knowledge is the most important. And if and if students are are gaining some skills and dispositions along the way, fantastic. But it just wasn't the priority. At the schools that were very transformed, the leader, the principal, was had a very balanced vision that all three of those things, knowledge, skills, and dispositions, are, are mutually reinforcing and feed off of each other. And so the 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 most transformed schools seem to have a really nice balance. So that was the first finding, having a balanced vision for learning. Second one was that the leadership approach that these different groups of principals took was was distinct. So the less transformed schools, the principals led in in one of two ways, we found. One way was, was somewhat detached. They just said, oh, you know what, I'm, we're going to let the teachers handle this, and and that's their thing. So if they want to go after deep learning and um you know, more than academics, then I'm going to let them figure it out. Uh, but they were somewhat detached. The other approach was fairly top-down and hierarchical, that um, I have this vision, and I'm going to impart that onto my leadership team, who will then impart that onto their, onto their other teachers and onto the students. But it was very principle-dependent and um, principal-directed. And those two approaches, the somewhat detached approach and the top-down approach, didn't, didn't seem to jive very well with uh, a more inclusive, deep learning approach. Uh, and so then conversely, the more transformed schools was a much more distributed approach around a shared, a deeply held shared vision where uh, rather than it being principle-centric, it was vision and mission-centric. The principal was part of the team, and they were working together around that mission and vision, which then teachers approach their teaching in a similar way. So fascinating to see that, to see that trickle down. Uh, and you're not surprising. I mean, the, the Savior distributed leadership. He instilled a deep, deeply held mission and vision with his disciples. And he distributed leadership. Uh, one of my favorite talks on leadership is uh, by President Kimball from 1976 called Jesus the Perfect Leader. And he says, if we brush others, other people aside in order to see a task done more quickly and effectively, the task may get done all right, but without the growth and development in the followers that is so important. 
Awesome. I love what you described there of that trickle down effect that if we want teachers to have a more inclusive student centric kind of classroom that really is helping students to become, we've got to help the adults become and be participating in the distributed leadership. Well, and it's obviously got implications for the family as well. Uh, But I'm learning that I need to be more meek and humble and see my children uh, on more of a same level with me and that we really need to counsel together. That That's going to be much more effective than me having all the answers and all the vision for our family and then... Uh, and then sending that out to everybody else. Uh, and I'm really doing them a disservice if I do all the thinking uh, and all the decision-making, and it just doesn't work. Yeah. So that's the second finding. The third one uh, obviously has direct impact on on the second one, and, and it was interesting, this third finding, as we were reading through these interviews, there was just this just – this, um, unsettled feeling that we were missing something. It's like there's something going on here that we're not quite capturing and distributed leadership's part of it and and you know some of the other things we're looking at but there's something going on with how these principals talk about their work and talk about their schools and talk about their people like what is it? So as you remember we decided to run a pronoun analysis. So we counted up um, the total number of words in the interview, and then we uh, counted the number of times a, a principal used the word I, me, my, as well as we, our, us, and then, and then ran some, some percentages and ratios to see how, how often they were being used. And without fail, uh, it was so fascinating that at the less transformed schools, the I to we ratio was much higher. Principals were talking using I, me, and my much more at the less transformed schools. And at the more transformed schools, every single one of them, it was we, our, and us. Uh, and, and it just gave us a little glimpse into the mindset that these leaders had uh, towards their work, their people, and uh, education in general, and, and obviously there are implications for that. I mean, we see in Moses 4 when when um, Satan's talking about his proposal. Uh, just go to the first few verses of Moses 4. It's fascinating the number of times he uses the word I and my. And then you look at the Savior and the way he talks about the work, and, and it's just exactly what we found. It was not about him. Uh, and, you know, it... It's not like these principals were bad people. They were good people trying to do good work. Again, Elder Maxwell, I think, said it so well. I truly believe what he says here. Underlying the ultimate capacity of any leader to lead is, of course, his capacity to love. And and as I said earlier, I think love is our native language. And um, if we can get fluent in that, I think that's one of the reasons we're here, is to become more more fluent in the language of love and in living uh, charitable lives. My work uh, as an educator is is primarily focused on blessing and building other people up uh, because they are God's children and they deserve it. I'll share one final experience uh, that that 
caught my attention. So I had done this work in Uganda on um, how leaders build trust with teachers. And, and I started off the presentation showing the correlation between high levels of trust and high levels of academic achievement in a school. And uh, my dear friend Cliff Mays, who you you love as well, yes, I do. Uh, had a way of always bringing things kind of back to just the most important things. He said, "So, David, what if trust were not correlated with academic achievement? What if what if building these relationships of trust were just achievement neutral? They didn't hurt achievement, but they didn't." Support achievement. What if it was just academic neutral? Would you build trust anyway? Would you build relationships anyway? Or is the only reason you're doing this to get higher test scores? And and that hit me like a ton of bricks because I'd been defending nurturing people and building relationships with people so that we could achieve higher in academic test scores. Certainly we want higher academic test scores. That's important. But he called me out and he said, David, don't, don't put the cart before the horse here. These are God's children. They are worth loving and they are worth building a relationship with because they're God's children. And uh, that was, a, that was a defining moment for me. And, and I've tried to, understand how to do that better and I don't know that it needs to be complicated but um, yeah that, that's just I would I I would just encourage any anyone that's listening or any educator you know if you're feeling a little bit disenchanted just get back to the basics about why you got into this and it was to bless and build God's children and and I would just thank anybody that has dedicated their life to education. Thank them for making their life a mission. One of the primary purposes of this podcast is to help show how Latter-day Saints can use their religion to be better teachers. But another important reason behind the podcast is to inspire people to be teachers or help teachers to know what a difference they make in the lives of their students. In the final part of our conversation with David Boren, Joe asks him about his unique journey to be an educator and how the Lord led him to teaching. Let's finish our conversation between the two. Well, we would love hearing about your story of why you're an educator. Okay. Well, um, yeah, that's a, that's a fun story. I, you know, like most returned missionaries came home from my mission and was uh, major hopping. I wasn't sure what to do. This was over the course of a lot of semesters. And like most uh, RMs at that age, they probably won't admit it, but um, most of us do this. We, I called my mom and uh, was just like, Mom, I have no idea what to do. I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting my money. Uh, I, I just don't know what I want to do with my life. And so she asked me a question uh, that really caused me to think. She said, well, David, have you thought about teaching? And and when she asked me that, that little prick that comes from the Holy Ghost touched me and, and uh, 
I knew that was something that I needed to consider. But I immediately started to push that out uh, because teachers don't make very much money. Mom, I I want to make enough money so that when I retire, my wife and I can serve missions and we'll have a comfortable retirement and we can serve the Lord after I retire. And my mom shot back a phrase that has revisited me several times since. She said, well, why don't you make your life a mission? And when she said that, like the Holy Ghost just just shook me, basically. And uh, that invitation to make my life a mission has been a real guiding principle from that time forward. So I, I decided I was going to become a teacher. And, uh, and it, uh, you know, it wasn't always easy in, in making that decision, but I, I love a couple of quotes, one by Elder Mon- President Monson. He says, the greatest lesson we can learn in mortality is that when God speaks and we obey, we will always be right. So, so for me, when, when I got the inspiration to become a teacher, it's like, okay, I don't know how this is going to work, but if, if God's letting me know this is what needs to happen, then then he's going to make it happen. He's going to help it happen. Uh, I love this also by George Albert Smith. He says, if you have something that the Lord asks or expects you to do, and you don't know just how to proceed, do your best. Move in the direction that you ought to go. Trust the Lord. Give him a chance, and he will never fail you. Uh, And so I just went full speed ahead and uh, spent time in the schools doing student teaching Got to do student teaching in China, which was a really unique experience uh, through BYU, and realized that, yep, this is this is what I want to do. I want to bless God's children through education. I think that's a great message to every educator, every parent, every person, uh, that they really can uh, do God's work and serve wherever they stand. Uh, and love the quote you shared there. And reminded me of many of my experiences as well, that education, you can do it. If your heart and soul's into it, you'll always find a way. And it's the Lord always provides a way to fulfill his commandments and what you feel prompted to do. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, so then I jumped into uh, my first year of teaching. I taught third grade in Pleasant Grove and was put out in the back trailer behind the school all by myself. And, uh, it was, it was tough. And you know what I realized? And I'm a quote guy. Joe, you know that. Uh, I have a, another favorite quote by Elder Iring that, that just, uh, rang so true. And it was given about that time when I was a new teacher. He said, There will be times when you feel overwhelmed. One of the ways you will be attacked is with the feeling that you are inadequate. Well, you are inadequate with only your own powers but you have access to more than your natural capacities and you do not work alone. The Lord will magnify what you say and what you do. And I realized uh, these are God's children in this class, these 25 to 30 kiddos and um, their unique situations and challenges. They were his long before they were mine and he cares deeply about them. So if I will partner with him, and uh, rely on him. He knows what they need. And uh, the tools I, I learned at BYU were marvelous and so helpful, but there were certainly uh, 
things that I had never learned in my coursework. And luckily, God's the great educator and and built my capacity and supported me along the way, but realized I could not do it alone. I love what you say of that they are God's children. And of course, we can't teach the gospel or about Jesus Christ at school, um, but you sure can rely upon the Holy Ghost and upon God's love to bless these children. And it is real. Uh, he is in that classroom if you invite him. And that, so thank you for sharing that. That's great. You know, I just had another thought come to mind. So every every classroom that I was assigned, and then even as a principal and even now as a professor, every physical space that I was assigned to work in, before officially starting, I would kneel down and basically dedicate my time in that space to blessing and building God's children. So I remember kneeling down in that little trailer out behind Grovecrest Elementary and basically saying, hey, Heavenly Father, you told me to do this, and I'm excited about it, and I'm going to dedicate my time and talents and everything that I have to blessing and building your children here. And then every time I leave a physical space for leaving that little trailer at Grovecrest, kneeling down after three years of really intense experiences, wonderful highs and lows, and and kneeling down and praying and thanking Heavenly Father for his help during my time in that, in that what to me now is a very sacred space. And then I did the same thing in bon- at Bonneville and Foothill and Sierra Park. And when I started here at BYU, uh, in my office, I knelt and just said, I'm going to dedicate my time and talents to blessing and building thy children. And it's, it's, it's real. You're right. It's so real. He cares about his children. And if we will rely on him, he will he will guide us and lead us and support us in this noble and divine work. What awesome memories. You brought back mine as well. Uh, kneeling at that kidney table where you read with hundreds of kids. There's just nothing more. I, I call it sacred as well. Um, that's awesome. Well, would you like to share a little more about principal professorship? Yeah. So, you know, during my first year of teaching, I was trying to decide, do I want to just teach for a while? Do I want to start graduate school? I knew eventually I wanted to do graduate school. So um, some of our listeners might know that there are a lot of opportunities outside of the United States at international schools. And uh, I was intrigued by that because I had student taught in China. I was aware of some of those opportunities. And anyway, I was I was prompted to go to graduate school. And actually ended up here at BYU, which was not the plan. Uh, that was an, I had done my undergraduate here and had really wanted a, a different experience. I loved I loved my BYU experience, but wanted to do something different. Uh, but the Lord wanted me here, and um, so that's that's what we did. Um, and then started started doing the assistant principal thing after that, and that was. That was a marvelous experience. Uh, and as you know, Joe, lots of ups and downs. There are so many situations where you're like, I have no clue how to handle this. I have no idea. They never covered this in my graduate program, which I don't resent now being over the principal preparation program at BYU. I fully acknowledge there's we are, we cannot cover everything uh, that that we're going to need. Uh, but but through those experiences, I, you know, realized that 
that I really wanted more for um, students than what what I was what I was even able to give as a teacher and as a principal at the time. I had a really uh, poignant experience. Um, I got a phone call from a teacher that that taught at Grovecrest, the first school I taught at. And he said, hey, David, uh, I need to just let you know that um, one of your students, and he told me the name, um, passed away yesterday. He overdosed on drugs and, um, you know, was just really struggling. And it, it just broke my heart. And I just saw his, his face. And, and I worked really hard with him. And I was a good teacher, and I loved the kids and, and did everything I could, but the focus, really the main focus, was on academics and how we could help them, which is super important. But it just caused me to reflect that, you know what, I, we have got to focus on more than reading, writing, and arithmetic in school. And really the students, uh, we need to, we need to focus on their well-being and their ability to think critically and create, solve problems, and show perseverance, and um, and that those things will be more important than almost anything else. And you know, I used to tell my teachers when I was a principal, if if our students don't learn to read, write, and do math, then we're not doing our job. But if that's all they learn, then we're probably not doing our job. Uh, this is a human endeavor, and uh, I I would go bat to bat with anyone that says schools should not teach character. But the cat's out of the bag. Who a teacher is and how they interact with students is going to be transferred to those students. You you cannot not teach character, and uh, it, it just is part of the human experience. And when you interact day to day, every single day for six to eight hours a day with a, with an individual, who that person is comes through. And um, I just realized we need to be more intentional about that. I mean, G- when Jesus came, he said, I'm, I am come that they might have life and then they might have it more abundantly. He wants us to enjoy this life and to learn how to live happily and well and and there's science behind that. And so part of the reason I came to BYU was to try to understand that and how we can do that in schools. But that that's kind of my journey to becoming a professor here at BYU and training teachers and leaders in how we can really bless and build God's children deeply. Love that. Thank you for sharing your journey and those sacred experiences that you've had, uh, especially of your student and how that really pulled on your heart. I think all of us can think of experiences that have really been challenging or sacred in in ways that are hard to describe. David, thank you so much. Uh, This has been wonderful. I've really enjoyed talking about education, about your journey, your work, your passion. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. We'd like to extend special thanks to David Bourne and Joe Backman for sharing their time with us today. 
The Seek Learning Podcast is produced by the BYU Latter-day Saint Educator Society in cooperation with the McKay School of Education. I'm Casey Paul Griffiths, and I serve along with Michael Leonard as the executive producers of the podcast. We also receive assistance from Joe Backman, David Boren, Betsy Ecton, Heather Safarovich, and Lisa Leonard. Editing and production for this episode was carried out by our wonderful students at the McKay School, and our theme and music was composed by Alistair Schwerman. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, help us grow the podcast with a subscription or writing a review wherever you receive your podcasts, or you can look up the Society on Facebook or Instagram. Latter-day Saint Educator Society also holds an annual conference every June to provide inspiration and information for those of you out there teaching in the field. We hope you'll join us this June, and you can find more information on our webpage. Just Google Seek Learning Podcast. Now, at our conference this year, we're trying something unique, and that is to provide some recognition for the great Latter-day Saint educators out there making a difference. The Latter-day Saint Educator Society is looking for nominees for Latter-day Saint Educator of the Year in the categories of elementary, secondary, collegiate, and religious education. In the next few weeks, we'll explain how you can nominate people from these awards, and we look forward to receiving your feedback. Until next time, I'm Casey Paul Griffiths, and this has been Seek Learning.